Welcome to Chapter 1 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Edith Dees, President and CEO of Capsin and longtime former CIO. In this segment, Dees talks about why the decade-long assignment at Holy Spirit Health System was a dream come true for her, how she applied principles from grief counseling when introducing major change, and the one move that made the biggest difference in staff satisfaction. Hi, Edith. Thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us today. My pleasure, Kate. Thank you. So looking forward to, to getting a lot of your thoughts about um, the industry. And uh, I figure the best way to do that is to first give uh, our readers and listeners a little bit of an idea of where you are right now. Okay. Well, I had been a CIO for over 20 years, and my uh, career is exclusively healthcare. I started as a clinician, got a degree in business, got a master's in organization development, and uh, stayed close to healthcare. I don't. I, I can imagine a more rewarding uh, discipline to be in. Right now, I'm uh, heading up a consulting company, and collaborating with an uh, organizational psychologist in Maine, whose practice also is exclusively healthcare. We're just help, helping organizations make it better due to the change that everyone's going through. I, my practice, in particular, is you know being targeted and focused. In, on issues that executives and leaders just can't get their arms around because the pace is too fast. There's too many imposed deadlines. There's too many competing priorities. And some of these underlying things that need attention just aren't getting it. That could make things go more smoothly. So I'm pretty excited about that. It's something I've been toying with for years, and I'm glad I got the opportunity to go for it now. Okay, and that's been for a couple months that, um, that you've been doing that? Yes. Yes, since August. All right. So I think uh, what would be kind of the logical thing to do is, is to, to talk about um, some of your, your experiences as a CIO, a role that obviously you held for a while. Yes. Um, so more recently you were at Holy Spirit Health System. Correct. Okay. And what was that that time period? That was 2005 to almost exactly a year ago, the end of 2014. So just shy of 10 years. So that's a really interesting chunk of time um, in this industry. I can imagine uh, went through some pretty significant change in that decade or so. We did, and it was very exciting. I had a great partnership with the CEO and the other C teams, and we did more collaboratively than we ever thought we could, and it was just a wonderful experience. Can you kind of talk about what the picture looked like when you arrived at the organization as far as, I guess I would say from, from an IT standpoint, where, where things stood? Well, from an IT situation, there had not uh, been a CIO there for several months. They had uh, been looking for a while, and they were looking for, they had advice from Accenture helping them, let's revamp this role, let's uh, have it not report to CFO anymore. Let's change reporting structure. Let's just rethink IT. Because at the same time, the board had approved a $20 million over about five-year expenditure in clinical information systems. And this was prior to meaningful use investments. This is the organization saw the need to uh, provide state-of-the-art clinical equipment, technology, and information systems. So with that, I think it was very, you know, insightful to rethink the whole role of positioning of CIO, too. So it, to me, for me, it was love at first sight. Uh, they had already signed their contract. They uh, went through, had good guidance from Accenture, good guidance from legal, and 
setting a, a nice solid foundation for vendor management, contract management, and involves clinicians. Everyone had a really clear picture of what they were doing, why they were doing it, and what they expected the vendor to deliver. And pretty good sense, not not as strong as, you know, hindsight, knowing what their role would be, but a pretty good sense it was going to be some hard work and we were going to have to rethink some of the things we'd always taken for granted. So we went uh, uh, under budget and under under time. Our t- we did it quicker than we thought we could, and we did it cheaper than we thought we could. And it was basically from the team pulling together, being accountable, being disciplined, and talking to each other. Okay. That's always an impressive thing to hear. And what do you think were, were the factors, the key factors in being able to do that um, you know, in a reasonable amount of time and under budget? I think it was the visible uh, leadership uh, endorsement and sponsorship. It was very clear that the board was watching us. We didn't want to disappoint our CEO. We we owed it to ourselves. We owed it to our community. I mean, we were all kind of in this together, and we were going to make it happen. There was a strong sense of accountability to everyone, including each other. Right. And uh, had there been a system in place before then? I know that they were doing a lot of rethinking of IT, as you said. So there hadn't been a clinical information system in place or just a... No. No, there hadn't been. Uh, Okay. Because I think they didn't have the leadership at every level to rethink their approach and to get all clinicians on the same timeline. And that, I think, is probably one of the most painful parts of meaningful use all the clinicians have to be on the same timeline. When it was a best-of-breed world, you know, the lab could automate, and they could automate it to their heart's content until they needed other practitioners to join in. And that's usually as far as they could got in their system development. It was the same with any, any ancillaries. With these core clinical systems, every clinician's a contributor, and every other clinician's relying on them to contribute at the, their point of data capture. So, I mean, early in the implementation, it's like, well, who should enter allergies? Well, who's the first one to hear them? Yeah. Let's get them in there because back in the day, folks, we'd have to struggle to find that information. As soon as it is entered, at least the other clinicians treating that patient have something to work on. As you get more information, then you update it. But you got nothing now. Yeah. So it's a new way of thinking about the tool and its impact. And we did everything on the impact to patients, what makes sense to the patients, and the broader sense, their families, our community. We want patients to get the best care they can get, and we want them to get back home to their families as quickly as we can. So one of the ways to do that is for us to be very expert at our internal communication so there's no missteps. Everybody's acting on the most current and accurate information. Right. And did you find though that even though there was a maybe maybe a willingness uh, to you know to get into this new world of having a you know clinical information system, um, I imagine there's still some challenges as far as that change management piece and you know getting into some of those details of how all of that's going to happen. Well, I was again very excited to have the opportunity to hold this spirit because the CEO let me do some of my. Uh, ideas. I thought, let's try this and see if it has a good outcome or makes a difference. And one of the things I did early on when we announced our timeline at a leadership meeting is I did a little presentation on change management. 
that people were still talking about right up until I left when I left the organization. And basically what I told them is, you, this is what, what's going to happen, how we're going to behave when we go through this. And it doesn't mean let's back off. This is a normal thing to expect. And I, I think my model is using Dr. Kuba Ross's stages of acceptance and grief. I said it's the same kind of principles could be applied to change. We are letting go of how we used to be. And we're not really clear on what's coming. But So we have to believe it's the right thing to do. And we've got to believe that we can count on each other to get through this. And I think my last slide was a trapeze artist. And the expression was uh, let go and grab on. But yeah. while you're in that real, the implementation in that little free zone, where your legs are loose from one and your hands haven't grabbed the other, but you will. We're going to help you. We're all going to help each other. Okay. And um, as far as uh, IT governance, like how, how did you uh, manage that? Um, because imagine that there had to be some either new roles or different roles created to uh, make all of this happen. Yes. I think IT governance is absolutely essential. And uh, every organization I've been in, I've done it to the extent the organization could accept that model. So you, you have to adapt to the culture and you have to adapt to the leadership style and you have to do uh, whatever is totally consistent with the CEO's vision. So again, uh, Sister Romaine and I had a great partnership. We made things happen and I'm really grateful for her support. The, the way I start IT governance is I just lay it out there. I see IT as a limited resource like brick and mortar and capital, what's the best way to spend it? And I'm not here to tell you what my job is. You executive team, you colleagues, your job's to tell me what my job is. And I will align my staff and budgets around what you want. So early on, we spent probably a year just talking about what do we want. And for everything, you know, there's a cost and a benefit. Well, early in the conversation, it's like we would like when we call the help desk, they could walk us through mail merges and how to do animation and PowerPoint and answer Microsoft questions. So we talked about the ramifications. If I really hired people that did that, would that make financial sense? Would that really meet the needs? So we, we talked through that, and we, I think we came to the realization it might be better to expect some computer literacy in our new hires and our current staff that had those core job functions and to provide them education, formal education, not hit and miss, try to teach me how to do this one thing, but a real curriculum working with our education department. And that's where we landed on that. It was beautiful. The uh, education department, had, unbeknownst to me, had been lobbying for that for years. Okay. So it get, made everybody more confident in their jobs. They were developing better skills, and they were the masters of their own destiny. They didn't have to wait to even get through on the help desk or get somebody to try to figure out what they're trying to do, they were more empowered to solve their own problems because the organization had supported them to acquire those necessary skills. It wasn't a focus that everything IT-related needs to reside in IT, but computer literacy to varying degrees belongs throughout the organization. Right. This also speaks to the fact that you were walking into a situation where um, the, the CIO role was kind of being, uh, where you had a chance to kind of redefine it. And yes. it, it sounds like another example of, of how you were able to, to do that. Well, it was very interesting. Um, 
first of all, we for clinical uh, community hospital. I think they purchased a PAC system in 2003, which is very impressive. But that was their first foyer unit, and they didn't really know what they were getting. They just it was really hot competition when we opened our cardiac hospital, and one of the vendors did that to tip the scales. Well, how about we help you get you know into you know digital imaging? By the time I got there, it was painfully obvious. It did matter what kind of hardware the vendor said it should run on. We were trying to run it on the, the uh, hardware that, you know, tape backups and all that that we were familiar with, and we thought we knew better. And what we found out is we didn't. We needed spitting disk technology, which we weren't experts at. So while we already were, had this many studies in there, we, the physicians couldn't retrieve the, the priors. So, well, that's a problem. So that was probably my biggest priority when I got there. But then also soon on, uh, we wanted to implement a new billable in the cardiac hospital, and it just couldn't get done. So I asked my manager to go in there with a spreadsheet, outline all the, t- the steps you see need to be done, and literally on an Excel spreadsheet, you can't do anything because why? Sandy. Well, because I need finance to do this, and I need imaging to do that. And I said, well, lay that all out, meet with them, and tell them that's what we need to get this thing done. I think that is the first time, at least in those folks' recollection, that there was any semblance of a work breakdown structure Mm -hmm. and roles and responsibility and, you know, contingencies and milestones and critical path. Those concepts, they embraced them. Now they know instead of just being frustrated, why doesn't it happen? They knew what was needed from them, and they knew what to expect from the, from the next, you know, handoff. And it got done. They got done in, you know, a lot less time than they had spent talking about it. Right. So project management was one of my big uh, priorities, uh, understanding, clarifying IT's role, and working with leadership, because I've been in a lot of organizations over my career. It, I've almost come to expect that, when the IT, when technology makes us uncomfortable, it's IT's fault. So let's talk about that. Let's not let that happen. Let's, let's know what we're getting into before we get into it. And that was part of the governance, adding some more discipline. Because just like everywhere else, hello, uh, my vendor's here now, and they want to get on the, inter- the network. It's like, who are you and why are you calling? Yeah. You know, we have to do security checks. So a lot of the IT governance you know, pretty much revolutionized the way we were interacting with the organization and the organization interacted with us. There had been no formal help desk. There were folks that acted more as receptionists that would just transfer the calls. I mean, literally, they worked like receptionists. So we researched a a system that's widely used and implemented it, got professional folks that were certified and it was a night and day uh, satisfier to our customers to have uh, folks at the help desk that could actually help them settle most of their problems when they called. So project management, governance, help desk, and then work on the staff. Do I have the right people in the right positions? Do I have uh, leaders leading or do I have leaders you know, defending the old guard? And that's a reality you just have to accept. People are people. Some some will let go and grab on, and some won't. And the ones that don't, you have to take care of that. You have to address that because it's just the staff doesn't need that 
confusion. The leaders need to be lockstep on what the vision is, where they're going, and how they're going to get there. Right. Uh, also worked with the staff to talk about career planning. Uh, are, and again, it's not atypical from positions I've been in. IT pretty much did what they like to do. And it's like, well, who's doing the stuff that needs to be done, and only IT can do it, that nobody likes to do? You're not gonna, let's talk about who's going to be responsible, who's going to be accountable, who owns this. And those were kind of new conversations, or so they seemed that uh, people did what they like to do, and if the customer called and said, you know, I need table change made, well, why wouldn't a customer have access to make that table change? Why are they going through the efforts and the hoops to call us to make that change? If it only impacts their job function, why don't they have the ability to do that? So it was rethinking the entire role of everyone in IT and our interaction with our customers. Right. And oddly enough, most customers embraced it. It's like, yeah, why do I have to call you when in half the time I could have made the change myself? Yeah. No, I can understand. So it was a lot of change. And then on top of that, then uh, stage one hit us in uh, no time to spare, and we were the first in line for that, the first in line for stage two, and we're uh, waiting for stage three when I left for the final regs. And that, that's really interesting because it's, you, you get there and uh, you're making all these changes and helping to make all these changes that are obviously going to take a lot of time. And uh, I, can, I can imagine that the, the challenge it presented when uh, meaningful use came down the pike. Well, actually, we had, the structures we had in place to do the first rapid implementation served us well because we didn't get a chance to take a breath, which was good because I think it kept our momentum up. And it was the same uh, vision, justification, and fuel that fueled us through the first one is we are accountable to our community, we're accountable to our board, we're accountable to our CEO. I mean, this is not bigger than us. We can do this, and we, we're going to. And we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.